Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. We're joined once again by guest host Catherine McNeil to discuss if churches should require their staff to tithe. And later, it's almost Holy Week. How are you going to celebrate? You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I am joined by my special guest co-host, Catherine McNeil. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for being here with us today. Hey, Aubrey. I'm so glad to be back again today. Catherine's going to be with us a few days this week because Brian, don't feel sorry for him, he is in Florida on spring break vacation. Yeah, I don't feel no, bad for him at all. Jealous. That he sounds... just sent me a picture yesterday of him poolside. He was like, how's the show going? And sent me a picture of him laying by the pool. And I thought, I hate you, Brian. Uh, what? Yeah, actually, what I texted what? Him, I said, texted, I hate you. Oh, my. Well, then I might be here for longer than you were anticipating. (laughs) You might never come back. Um, Okay. uh, Have you followed this story? Uh, Judah Smith, he's a pastor who was in Seattle, but then he started a church strictly online, a megachurch called Church Home. And uh, essentially, they are facing a lawsuit, class action lawsuit, because they require their staff to tie 10% of their wages. And apparently the policy violates two Washington state laws. Now, I am assuming that they needed to tie 10% of their wages to church home. Um, Let's see. But let's make sure that's right, because it could be just that they were required to tie them anywhere. The suit was filed Tuesday on behalf of Rachel Kellogg, a post-production producer at church home. And included in the suit are any church employees who contributed part of their wages to church home during the relevant time period unless they opt out. Okay, so it basically is this idea that they were supposed to give 10% of their wages back to the church. Back to the church. So compulsory tithing really is the question at hand. It violates Washington's Wage Rebate Act, so obviously it's an unfair practice in the state of Washington. Is it an unfair practice in the church, do you think? Uh, so I'm asking this actually because I had a friend who just got hired at a new church and she said, should I give my tithe to my church? And we talked about it for a little while. I was honestly a little surprised she was asking because I was like, why wouldn't you give your tithe to your church? But that's interesting when you work for your church. And obviously yeah. I think the idea of compulsory tithing period is not not uh, okay. So let's just maybe take the compulsory piece out of this conversation. Okay. Okay. I, I think we would all agree that that's egregious and unlawful and probably anti-biblical. What about should church employees tie to their own church? 
Man, there are so many yeah, layers there here. there are, aren't there? <laughs> I got to tell you, until you started talking, I had never heard of Judah Smith. I had never heard of a church that was online called Church Home. And I had seen, while I was doom scrolling <laughs> yesterday, uh, as we talked about yesterday, um, I did see a lot of people arguing about whether or not tithing should be compulsory. Uh, and now I know why. But I have not given yeah. this thought. But having thus said, I, I there's just a lot of layers, you know? Like, it does feel weird. I think I'm going to put the compulsory piece back in. Because I... As I actually mentioned yesterday, I do think tithing is important. I do think it is an important Christian yep. practice and discipline to say, you know, I'm going to give the first fruits to God, not just what's left over. And I think that it is important biblically that that is used to to support our, our ministers, which typically tend to be in our church and our, and our community ministry. And I think it's important that that money is used to provide for those who don't have as much resources in our community. And oftentimes that's happening through yep. the church as well. So I do think that tithing is important. And I think that tithing is even important for church staff. But I also agree it gets a little bit complicated when the place where you are getting a paycheck is expecting you to turn around and give some of that paycheck Yeah, because the weird back. part is, is let's, let's like play it out practically. They might as well just keep, pay you 10% less. Like, it's a very bizarre sort of... Exactly. It is bizarre. To, like, method. Right. So, I think... I think, you know, every person should give whatever they have determined in their heart to give, as the New (laughs) Testament says, and um, that the church, like any other employer, should pay a fair wage for the work that's done, and then if the person, the employee, the, the minister, the staff person, wants to give 10%, then it's up to their conscience inside formed inside community where yeah. that goes that's that's my that's my final answer how about you <laughs> well it's interesting a barna study last september found that only one in three pastors believe the traditional 10 percent tithe should be standard most pastors would say like give a sacrificial amount or give as much as you've determined mm-hmm. in your heart to give i i mm-hmm. okay so i don't think it should ever be compulsory whether you work for the church or you attend church period so that on the table so i do want to take the compulsory piece out of it do i think employees should like let's say employees of churches are tithing should that tithe go to the church where they're employed i mean it's hard because i i tend to think it I, I I tend to be one who doesn't say it's individual personal because I actually think so much of our faith is communal. And yet I do think some this yeah. is a little bit between you and God or you and your family and God. So certainly do I think you ought to tithe to your local church, whatever church that is, if you happen to work there, should you still tithe there? Yeah, probably. That said, I don't think you are sinning or doing anything nefarious by saying, actually, we want to give our tithe to this ministry or this person who's in need or this other organization or this other church we're passionate about that we grew up in. Or like, I I think the concept of giving some of your, your wages should be part of your Christian faith. 
is that compulsory yes. at your local church? No, but I think your local church, especially if you're on staff, there is a reasonable place to give part of your tithe. It's not unreasonable to do that. The compulsory piece is unreasonable. Well, it doesn't, it does not make sense to me. If you are actually going to invest in a community and be formed by the community and build relationships in the community and not participate in any way in sustaining the community financially, that doesn't make sense to me. That feels, that feels funny and backwards. Um, so, you know, whatever the Bible teaches aside, if I'm going to show up at your house for a potluck every single week and never bring yeah. anything to the potluck, I should I should probably yeah. stop going. You know, unless I'm in in right. particular need, right. and then that's very that's a different situation. But if I'm able, it doesn't make sense to continue to benefit from a community that I'm not investing yeah. in at all. Um, and if I'm on staff there. My husband actually used to be employed by a church, and we actually had this conversation, like, shall we take some of the money that they gave us in our paycheck to, right, and give it right. back to them? Um, but when push comes to shove, the ministry that they were doing was the thing that we were most caring about and most invested in. That's why we had chosen to give so much yeah. time there. So, yeah, these are some things to weigh, I guess, together in I'm community. I'm how this story plays out because are these current employees are they former employees will they lose their job you know how do you sue the place where you're working and continue yeah. working there especially if it's a church these are interesting conversation will be fun to fun is maybe they not the right word fun interesting <laughs> to see how this story unfolds and what we learn for it and you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my special guest co-host, Catherine McNeil. She's here all week because Brian Fromm is sunning himself on the beach Ooh-hoo. in Florida. I'm man. Very jealous of that man, but not that jealous because I get to hang with you. I That's know. Common Good, Catherine. His, his loss is my gain. That's absolutely, absolutely correct. We're so glad you're with us today. If you've missed any of this week's show, we'd love to invite you to go back on our podcast and catch up there. You can do that wherever it is you stream podcasts. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We also love engaging with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on Facebook. All right, um, Catherine. Yes, Aubrey. Sunday coming up soon. I can't even believe it. This Sunday is Palm Sunday. I know. Then we enter into Holy Week. I am like, how is it already Palm Sunday? I feel like Lent has flown and March has has flown and suddenly we're in April. Um, Talk to me about your family traditions. What what will you guys do for Holy Week? How will you celebrate? Well, I love Holy Week. I absolutely love Holy Week. I thought you did. Yeah, I do. I do. You know, my husband and I, we didn't go away for spring break this year, obviously, because I'm here. Yes. Um, But we did talk about going away somewhere for the weekend. But my daughter said, no, 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 we can't miss Palm Sunday at church. So to church we will go. Yeah. Were you extra proud of her for that? Or you were like... Yeah, I guess I kind of was. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. like, we've raised her right, this girl. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so we'll go to church. Um, I, you know, I, I am very 
we were talking about manifesting, right? You know, um, I am always hoping to do, be the kind of person, the kind of parent who does traditions and, and I just, like you said, it always sneaks up on me. I never quite get it done. So, but I do love all the church services that are, that you can go to on Holy Week. I love the Monday, Thursday service. I love the Good Friday service. I love the Saturday vigil. I love resurrection Sunday. So as many of those as I can fit in, you'll go to, we will go to abs, but definitely the Easter vigil. That is, there is not a better hour in my entire year. I just absolutely love it. For our listeners, if you don't mind sharing, where do you go and where might you recommend they would go? Um, Quite a lot of churches will do an Easter vigil, but the one that I love is part of the Anglican liturgy. So the the evening starts out in the dark. You're still in the somber mood from Good Friday. Mm -hmm. Jesus is in the tomb. And the evening starts with reading scripture all the way back to creation, working its way through the prophets and then the gospels. And then all of a sudden we get to the reading of the resurrection. And the lights come up. I love it. Like colorful banners are hung. Flowers appear all over the sanctuary. And people pull bells out of their bags and start ringing bells as loudly as they can. And then the whole rest of the church service is basically a dance party. And Jesus is alive. And, you know, in the Anglican community, everyone has been observing Lent. Yeah. And so it really, you just can really feel the shame shift from a focus on repentance to a focus on life and salvation. Oh, I love it. Okay. How about you? So fun. Yeah. So we have a tradition uh, for the past few years and we'll do it again on Friday. We, our friend, uh, Greg Armstrong is a pastor of Renew Church. It's a multi-ethnic church in Lombard. Okay. And they partner with um, a guy who's been on the show, Daniel Yang, his prodigal church network, which is church for Hmong people. They partner to together with another church plant that is a uh, woman-run church network and all women on staff, all women church leaders. And they do this incredible Good Friday service. The three of them join together and lead people in Good Friday, just worship and and contemplating. And then they're a little more... um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Not quite Pentecostal, but a little bit Pentecostal. Okay. And so some prophetic words, they'll do some children's church. They'll have something mm. to try to um, draw the audience in and engaging. And it's just so beautiful and fun. And so we go there as a family every Good Friday. This year we invited our church staff. And I think we actually are going to put out an announcement to anyone in the church who wants to go. Oh, good. Um, and I hope Renewal partners with it in the future, but it's been kind of nice to to go and just be led and not yeah. have to do any leading. Um, so that's something that we always do as a family on Good Friday. And then I, I'm i a little like you. If I can find a Monday, Thursday service that's around, I will go. But sometimes I like mean to and then I actually don't. Yeah. But I did read somewhere that, you know, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, if you can't get to a service, you could spend the evening washing each other's feet as a family, which hey. might be fun. I kind of yeah. like that idea. I think my boys would laugh hysterically, but I still like it. Do you want to come over to my house and we'll wash your feet and then you guys 
guys can wash our feet. I love this idea. <laughs> I love this idea. Do you? No. <laughs> I didn't I think, think so. Not at all. I think it actually okay. sounds really terrible. Yep, okay, that's wh- why I suggested it. <laughs> what about growing up? Like, was your family a big Easter family, or were they, like, an Easter bunny family, or what was your <laughs> What was um, like as Catherine as a little kid? Well, Easter. you know, I would have to wear a dress yes. and my shoes. But here's the trouble. I grew up in the northern Midwest. You know, it's cold in Chicago on Easter. But I was in Wisconsin and Minnesota. So, like, it was cold. It was really cold. So, you know, Mary Jane shoes and... Yes. And cute little spring dresses do not yes. mix well with three feet of snow. That so is very terrible. You're right. I definitely remember that tension. Um, but yeah, we would dye eggs. Um, there would be an Easter basket hidden somewhere throughout the house. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in a rural area, so there's not a lot of events and activities yeah. like there is in the suburbs or the yeah. city. But yeah, definitely. I remember wearing a dress and being yep. very cold and yes. getting some candy. <laughs> so I grew up in the, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma, so it You're was right. warmer for sure. And But we were, uh, we definitely did the frilly Sunday school dress. And my dad, well, two things. We we grew up with, like, uh, my mom's mantra was young ladies wear tights. And so uh. we always have on, like, white tights and our dresses and our Mary Jane shoes that were deeply uncomfortable. Yep. But very. my dad really likes hats on women. Oh, and yeah, like big old Southern Sunday school hats. Wow. So every year my dad would be like, <laughs> there's nothing more beautiful than a woman in a hat. Like my what? dad, so my sister and I still make fun of him for that today. That's good. But he, he deserves always, it. He would always try to get us to wear almost like not straw hats exactly, but kind of straw hats with like a big ribbon around the, you know, brim. Uh-huh. And we like bonnets, I guess is what they were. And my yeah. sister and I never, we always no. rejected them. I yep. think there's like a picture of the two of us. Uh, at, we lived in Georgia also when I was little. There's a picture of us in front of the house in our Easter clothes and our Easter hats. And I don't, that was the last time we ever wore that. Well, you know, that's the benefit to being raised in a cold climate is nobody's expecting you to wear no southern hats. Wear. <laughs> No one's expecting you to put on an Easter hat. You might have to wear a winter hat, but nobody's asking you to wear a southern hat. Okay, Catherine, with like 30 seconds left, I'll say this one last thing. I've got, and I want to know your experience of this too, having boys. Easter clothes is a scramble. Oh. Like, I'm always like, oh no, do they have pants that fit? Do they, wait, do we even own a button-up shirt? Like, it's no. a disaster at my disaster. house. Disaster. Oh, my kids... I I try to not have them wear Adidas pants to church, and that that's is like as far as I can get. Yep. Yeah, I might actually have to go shopping for them this year. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Oh my, Catherine! I saw something online recently that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, okay, a form of contemporary racism called digital blackface, which I have heard defined as a practice where white people co-opt online expressions of black imagery, slang, catchphrases or culture, yeah. for comic relief, or for other reasons. Have you seen any examples of this? Um, absolutely. You know, I spend maybe more time than I should on Twitter, and <laughs> <laughs> I have for years heard people of color ask us white folks not to use GIFs 
that feature people of color mm-hmm. and that, that that feels like a form of digital blackface mm-hmm. to them and so i have tried to um tried to to go by that to find to avoid a gif doing that. yes i've tried to find a gif of a fellow white person um yeah because i've heard from many people that that feels respectful yeah i I, I love that, um, one, that that's your response, because I, I feel like a lot of people might get defensive and go, I can mm-hmm. use whatever memes yeah. I want to or what have you. So right. I love that your heart is kind of like, oh, if this is dishonoring my black brothers and sisters and I'm hearing them talk about it, I'm going to do something different. Yeah. It's it, literally the least we can do. It's literally <laughs> it's the least. Just pick a different meme. Say, yeah. As to say, oh, <laughs> I would be happy to do this very small thing if it makes you feel a little safe or a little more comfortable. Yeah, a little more comfortable bringing your full self to yep, the table yes. and, and, and not experiencing more racism than you've right, already experienced. Right. Now, can you, from from just what you've heard on Twitter, and I know two white women talking about blackface is not the greatest thing in the world, so I'm, I want to say, I want right. to put that out there, but from your friends on Twitter, why do you suppose that's felt like racism or quote digital blackface well yeah like you just said i hardly want to speak to that yeah the best of my understanding is that it does harken back to this long tradition um unfortunately stemming back to when um there was profound inequality in our country uh, even though there still is but um, when when white people as a comedic gesture would dress up as a person of color yeah as a as a comedy as a comedy bit and that that harkens back to that and and again it's not really important for me to understand it's important for me to listen but i'm not going to gauge whether or not i i respect these wishes based on whether or not it makes sense to me. I'm going to do it based on the fact that I listened and I, and I have, and I want to show respect to my brothers and sisters. So yeah. um, Yeah. Whether or not I understand it, I think is secondary. It doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. Right. Although I don't want to be misunderstood by saying it's not important for me to listen. It's important for me to listen. Yeah. And you know, as a woman, as a woman, there are so many things that men do, you know, that are, Mm -hmm. are beloved Littling to us, or that yeah. create a, a sense of unsafety, yeah. and it's very easy for them to be like, "Wait, that doesn't make sense to me. That seems like right. overreacting to me." And it's like, right. "Well, okay, but you've never lived an entire lifetime in my shoes, so right. and so I get that. Like, you can have a little bit of empathy, even though it's not the same. You can exactly. go, "I understand. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yes, yes. Yep. Okay, so I'm happy to hear this response from you, Catherine, because I've been reading some other responses to this topic that were honestly really disturbing. I'll just put my hmm. cards out there really disturbing to me for example there's this thing that in the world called whataboutism which i also call deflecting where for instance this topic has come up in the news digital back blackface and other folks have said things like well what about the war in russia what about (laughs) transgenderism what about uh, the earthquake in Turkey, kind of in a way to actually not talk about the right. issue at hand. Right. And I feel like that is such a, it's such an intentional move, really, to avoid what you're saying, listening, empathy, changing. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, it's interesting to me, like, 
this whataboutism is mm-hmm. sort of a way to... I guess it's just a way to totally avoid. Like, it, and you hear people doing this a lot. Why are we talking about this when XYZ is happening right. around the world? Right. Why are we talking about this when... And unfortunately, I think that's an easy... It's an easy scapegoat not to actually it is. talk about the thing at hand. D- yeah, don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, it's such a broken way of being together with people. Um, mm. It's such a broken way of being in the world. You know, Aubrey, if you call me and say, my car broke down, I'm so discouraged. I'm not going to turn around and be like, your car broke down. Well, I've been sick for three weeks. Like, you know, like, <laughs> Right, right. Th- there are many things that are wrong and broken in this sinful world that we're in. And when someone is bringing up one of those things, we need to be present in that thing and not say, well, why, why do you care about this? There's this totally unrelated other broken thing that's going on. Um, that yeah. I just don't understand why anyone tolerates that kind of behavior in themselves at all, <laughs> to be frank. Yeah. Um, yes, there are many, many painful broken scenarios in the world. Let's be present with the one we're talking about right yeah. now. This one right um, here. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you talked about whataboutism, which I think is just a good word for when we're doing this in conversation with each mm-hmm. other on social media or at work or whatever. But it, I don't know if you've heard the acronym DARVO, D-A-R-V-O. It stands, no. for, it stands for Deny, Attack, and Reverse Victim and Offender. And it's a kind of a classic, mm-hmm. a classic uh, defense tool that abusers will use. So if you were to say, you know, like this person has harmed me or has manipulated me, they would, they might deny it and then attack you and then reverse who is the victim and an offender. And I I think now that's ringing a bell, like ringing a hundred bells for you. We've all seen this play out, but that, that feels similar here to like, if someone is saying, you know, you using that gif or that racial joke or that word is offensive to me. And then I deny mm-hmm. that that could be that, that, that that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. And then I attack you and then I make it out that I'm the victim and you're the offender. Wow. That, Catherine, that's, that's classic abusive behavior. Wow. So I think we have, again, I don't know why we tolerate this kind of hurtful behavior in ourselves when Jesus and Paul so clearly said, you know, like do whatever you can, anything that's in your power to allow your brothers and sisters to feel built up, encouraged, supported, understood, and known. So we have, we have a long way to go in this body of Christ. We have a long way to go. That's, that is, uh, that's Darvo. Deny, attack, reverse a victim and offender roles. I think that's something we all need to be aware of for sure. All right. Well, coming up next, Catherine, we're going to sort of continue this conversation and talk about some of the typical defense mechanisms that we all use. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I have to share this with um, Catherine because Catherine and I go to TJ Maxx whenever we have a moment. Yeah, we do. And Catherine, you'll appreciate I got an email from TJ Maxx uh, telling me that they missed me. We miss you at TJ Maxx, they said. They sure do. That's a problem, right? When TJ TJ Maxx is... uh, 
when TJ Maxx is letting you know that they miss you, I feel like that's really, really problematic. That's hilarious. I know. I thought that was so funny. Okay, so I'm telling you that because I might be in a little bit of denial about my shopping problems at TJ Maxx, which brings to mind something that I want to talk about. Defense mechanisms! Okay. And denial is actually one of the defense mechanisms that we use. Um, Okay, over at... Is shopping one of them? (laughs) It has to be, right? I feel like it definitely has to be. Over at verywellmind.com, they have the 20 most common defense mechanisms. Yeah. And essentially some are helpful, some are not. Like some protect you and some probably protect you from things you need to dive into. So I think I wanted to share this with our listeners, maybe just so we can all begin to be aware of when we do them and make healthier choices. Yeah. Um, And just be mindful of kind of our own coping uh, strategies. Yeah. Aubrey, can I just say, I, you know, I'm a pretty nerdy person. I think we're all comfortable with that by now, but I started out as a psychology major in school and then went on to get a master's degree in, in counseling. And and I studied these, and it's one of those things, you know, like that game where you see a horse, and then all of a sudden you see a woman's face instead, yes. and then you can't you can't not see it. Yes. Once you start learning about these defense mechanisms, you see them everywhere. Mm-hmm. You see them in yourself, you see them in your spouse, and in your kids, mm-hmm. and in your colleagues, and on the news. I So yes, we should wow. learn to see these, because then we can become healthier. Okay, I love it. more in charge of how we respond to things. How okay, let's respond. do it. I'm All in. right, so we'll just go back and forth. So here's the first okay. one. Displacement. Taking feelings out on others. An example mm. would be being angry at your boss, but taking out on your spouse instead. I do. I have done that where I am angry yeah. at my spouse, but I take it out on my kids. I think that's a probably yep. typical yep. one. I'm sure you're never angry with your boss. Since never, 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 no, never. No, yeah, no. never, never, never. Well, <laughs> another one that you've already mentioned is denial, mm. which is just simply denying that something exists at all. Like, for example, if you've been a victim of, of a, a violent crime and you're just saying it didn't even happen, like it's not yeah, a big deal. Yeah. Wow. That's a big one. Okay. The next would mm-hmm. be repression, which is unconsciously keeping unpleasant information from your conscious mind. This is an example. It's a difficult one, but if you're, if you were ever abused or assaulted, maybe as a child or an adolescence and you don't remember it, your brain yeah, has yeah. intentionally repressed that to protect you. Uh, another one that's similar to that is suppression, and that's when you are consciously keeping mm. unpleasant information from your conscious mind. So repression is happening unconsciously. You don't even realize that you're doing it. Wow. Suppression, you're making the choice. I'm just not going to think about this. Mm. I'm going to push not, this out of my mind. I did not know the, the distinction between those two, so that's great. That's really helpful. Okay, yeah. the next one is sublimination. Oh, excuse me, sublimation. Mm-hmm. Converting unacceptable impulse into more acceptable outlets. So you're upset with your spouse, but you go for a walk instead of fighting. Sublimation. So that is almost like, let me calm down. Let me gather my thoughts. Let me not react in fight or flight. And then I'll come back to the conscious. So I could see how that could be healthy, certainly. Yeah, in in moderation. You know, you don't want to never have the confrontation. Right, right. right. Okay, projection. I think this is a big one. Mm. We assign our own unacceptable feelings or qualities to others. Yes. 
So maybe the example that this article is suggesting is maybe you're feeling attracted to someone and instead of dealing with that, you accuse your spouse of uh, wanting to cheat on you. Or maybe uh, you're angry about some, you're angry at somebody and you, instead of feeling that anger, you feel insecure and assume they're angry with yeah, you. Okay. Wow. Yeah, definitely. I think we've all done projection. All right. Here's mm-hmm. another one. Intellectualization thinking about stressful things in a clinical way. So let's say you lose a close family member, you stay busy making the necessary arrangements or probably just considering what has happened rather than feeling sad about it. That can certainly be a way to avoid pain for sure. Yep. Another one is rationalization, justifying an unacceptable feeling or behavior with logic. Mm. So imagine you've been denied a loan for a house you want to buy and then you say, that's a good thing. The house was too big anyway. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting one. All right. Regression. I've seen this in my children. Reverting to earlier mm-hmm. behaviors. Hugging a teddy bear like you're stressed. When you're stressed like you did when you were a child. I definitely do that. I think everyone should have a stuffed animal that they hug when they're stressed or sad yes. like they did when they were a child. Yep. I'm, I'm actually for that form of regression. <laughs> Um, okay, reaction formation. And I am such a dork that I used to talk about this with my Stop friends. Stop it! Stop yes. it! No, seriously, call them up. Get them up on the phone. They will be like, oh, yeah, she talked about this one all oh, the time. Oh, Catherine and her reaction formation. <laughs> it's replacing an unwanted impulse with its opposite. So, for example, mm-hmm. you're sad about a recent breakup, but you act happy about it. Or... Yeah. What I was always commenting about in college was someone is clearly in love with someone else, but it's unrequited, <laughs> and so they act as though they can't stand that person. They act like at they all. hate them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, Did yeah, you ever okay. see that happen? I mm-hmm. definitely saw that reaction in formation. College, all right, I yep. love that. All right, here's some more acting out, coping with stress by engaging in actions rather than acknowledging and bearing certain feelings. Instead of just telling someone you're angry with them, you might yell or throw something against the wall. That's cool. never another one would be aim inhibition, accepting a modified form of their original goal. So an example would be becoming a high school basketball coach rather than a professional athlete. Hmm. Aim inhibition. I feel like that's just growing up. That's just adulthood yeah. right there. <laughs> well, I think a lot of these can be extremely helpful. You know, it yeah. is good to go for a walk before you confront your spouse. Mm-hmm. It's good to say, you know what, I'm not going to think about this right now. I'm just going to make my grocery list. I think the, the question is, are we doing this to avoid dealing with something or are we right. doing this to help us deal with something? Yeah, I think that yeah. ultimately is a great question. And how do we healthily enter into the the pain or the conflict or the emotions, what have you, in such a way that we're not hurting other people, we're not harming ourselves, mm-hmm. but we are dealing with what needs to so that we experience more wholeness and relational yeah. peace and um, intimacy, that, that yep. kind of thing. Because all of these, like you said, can be helpful to a point, but if we use them in such an extreme way that we actually avoid pain, I I don't think we grow as humans. That's right. That's right. All right. A couple more things on this list. You can find it for yourself at verywellmind.com. Fantasy, avoiding reality by retreating to a safe place within your mind. Humor, pointing out funny or ironic aspects of a situation. That might be someone who cracks a joke in a stressful or traumatic situation disassociation, becoming separated or removed from your experience, compensation, overachieving in one area to compensate for failures in another, 
passive aggression in directly expressing anger or undoing trying to make up for what you feel are inappropriate thoughts feelings or behavior wow Wow. so so fascinating yeah well uh Catherine and i will be back again tomorrow for Catherine's final day on friday we'll be here from 4 to 6 p.m for Catherine mcneil i'm aubrey sampson and you've been listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life